You are listening to the Massive Report podcast. Welcome to the Massive Report podcast. We have a full house here. In uh, are we allowed to disclose our undisclosed location today? <laughs> yeah, I think given what's what's upcoming, it's probably all right. right. We are at the uh, Ohio Health Performance Center in a room housing all the well, not all the hardware, but mm-hmm. most of the Columbus Crew's hardware. It is protected behind. Glass cases, so no touchy, Bart. Mm-hmm. I know you already tried to lift the lid on those things. Uh, well, it's funny you say that because I was telling you when we were waiting before we started that they transport these trophies. If you go into where the little concourse at lower.com mm-hmm. field, mm-hmm. they've got those out there for game days. The people that transport them literally wear like the NHL, nice, like Stanley Cup yeah. gloves. Phil Pritchard, they move them the in. keeper of the cup, Phil yeah. Pritchard. Put them in the, the and so you're yeah. saying we could do some, you know, uh, uh, Ocean's Eleven type shenanigans and like intercept it, you know? The, the I think honestly we could just pick the glass up and yeah. grab them if we want. I don't think it's that complicated. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. so you're back. Wa- back. You might be able to fit something. Like, so in the there. wall does come out. Uh, I have seen them moved before. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's okay. not, well, this is a beautiful f- yeah. facility. I've not been in here yet. Uh, the reason why we're here is because Tim Bezos. Is because we're, we're team shills. <laughs> as, as you guys all knew, we, we are, are bought and paid for. Uh, <laughs> well, he did yes. give us a six pack of, of beer. So uh, we, th- we thank him for dropping off the saucy. Saucy Brew Works, if your brew works. Make it so. How does it already keep put your brew work just, saucy? Why am saucy, I the guy who, saucy who says this? Every yeah, week? it's supposed <laughs> to be my <laughs> job, but I always we should I have just recorded Ori saying it. Yeah, yeah. we should not. We'll, we'll get Ori to. To just do that just for us. Yeah, 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 just yeah, go, just, but like, there you go. from like three different ones, so it's like, if your brew works, be <laughs> saucy with it. We, yeah. Who would have ever thought that we need an Ori Benatar soundboard, <laughs> but here we are in 2023. And we, we thank uh, Saucy Brew Works, and we'll be back there next week, but the, you know, as I said, we drop by here to catch Tim on his way out the door to drive the kids around, he said, so mm-hmm. he partake, partook. And none of the malted grain beverages. That's uh, just the sort of discipline and uh, straight up uh, good guy he is. I was going to exercise after this, but then there was beer presented yeah, to me, so, so I'm not. So much for that. Uh, like and subscribe to the Mass Report Podcast. Please stay tuned because our conversation with Tim is coming up. And I felt like we covered a lot of good ground in the brief time that he had because, it, you know, he is a family guy. And it's like mm-hmm. his day is scheduled. And it's time for me to take the kids, I don't know, to soccer practice or something. I got to go. And I respect that. You know, be he dead. doesn't have mm-hmm. all night to talk to us clowns. As I mentioned to him, you know, there are podcasts lined up out the door. To uh, He could spend all day on podcasts. Oh, yeah. We, we had to fight to the nail to get this spot. Um, uh, sorry, Aces Radio. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> uh, so a lot to go over, though, uh, before we get to Tim and uh, his thoughts on the summer transfer window that had more than a little drama. We'll get to that a little bit later on. First, we go back and we look at Saturday night. Uh, the game kind of played out the way I thought it might uh, looking a lot like, including the final scoreline of the LA Galaxy game from earlier this season, where it's just you, clearly the crew or the class team on the pitch, and you just need to take care of business mm-hmm. on the field between the lines, and they did. It wasn't particularly scintillating, Bart, but it got the job done. No, absolutely, and and I think you know when you look at uh, especially the the Diego Rossi goal. Um, I, th- I think that exemplifies it, uh, uh, you know, just completely professional on his part goes in. He, he's right there, you know, with Nagby the whole time. Nagby gets the shot off and then suddenly, boom, that extra gear that he's got 
in their poacher's goal. Um, and, and, and this was a Toronto team that never threatened whatsoever. Um, uh, uh, crew absolutely dominated, I think, in, in, in every facet of the game. I, I don't, did Toronto end up when, – when did they get their first shot on target? Probably not till yeah. 18th minute. Somewhere there was the one that banged off the woodwork mm-hmm. that was a little scary. Uh, yeah, they did have the one. And then uh, the, the you know, dagger from the Toronto uh, – uh, the, the player that Toronto turned down – um, and Jason Russell Rowe <laughs> yeah. with a with a you know keeper assist to, to boot, um, uh, pretty pretty poetic, I would say. Um, and then there's you know some stuff about Michael Bradley. We can talk about yeah, that yeah, later. Yeah. Uh, I think the Diego Rossi goal is interesting. I was when we were at this f- very specific venue earlier today for training. I was talking with Chris Doran about it, and Diego Rossi that that goal seems to be exactly what they wanted from him and not to take anything away from Lucas because as Chris pointed out or maybe it was Adam Jardy one of the guys who was here today pointed out that like you probably create more if you have a Lucas in there just because of the comfort and things Mm -hmm. but you brought Rossi because of his energy and his running and his willingness to press and things and if Lucas is on the field on that specific play that shot comes off and there's probably no one that is Mm -hmm. in there that quickly maybe Cucho but he's been playing a bit of a different role. So I think you see, just in that goal, like a little bit of an example of what Rossi gives you. And, and it'll get better as they play more. But just the, the energy to just follow that shot, make sure he's right there to put it away, um, I think is a, a little look into the window. And, and he will use that energy in a lot of different ways, I think, for this team. But glad to see him get off the, the mark early on in his crew career. Obviously had the, the chance against Cincinnati. Um, Place went nuts when he scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the place was nuts anyway. But. Absolutely. So, Brett, sometimes we make this game more complicated than it needs to be, and Hand that up. goal, that goal is—I'm not accusing you of it. No, it's—I'm accusing me. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that goal is an example of, hey, go where the goals are. You know, put yourself in a good position, and you—you you might not see the moments that led up to him being in that right position, but. For a guy like him, I think a lot of it is just sort of instinct. This isn't a dig on the Caleb Porter era crew teams, but that goal right there is the goal mm-hmm. that they never scored in the in, during his time. Mm-hmm. Well, and they don't probably um, close that game out either. No, and so no. the I, I can't tell you how many times um, during the the years that we were on the broadcast team where it'd be like, when was the last time we saw the crew score? Rebound. My words mm-hmm. here, but the crew score like a garbage goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would it, like to the point where like we couldn't remember one, right? And it's the just the fact that the the ball is in a dangerous spot. It's Nagby being dynamic in a way that you don't actually see him a whole lot, and that that kind of stretching and then trying to actually hit something from distance during run of play, right? And um, but to me, it's the the it's the kind of the the fact that that Rossi kind of keeps himself alive while it, the ball is mm-hmm. not really near him. In that he's not looking for a cutback. He's not, he's not kind of checking shoulders. He's still just kind of jogging, and that casual yeah. jog keeps him alive, and it occupies center backs. Um, and then when he flips the switch, it's that those first two steps, boom, are just, you know, 5 10% faster than anyone or, you know, around him. And so, he, you know, he's able to get to that pretty easily. Um, you know, I thought uh, he had – a number of occasions where he showed some first touch quality that mm-hmm. 
were pretty eye popping to me, especially in the second half um, when they, uh, you know, kind of tried to pick on Yaoyaboa a couple times going down their right side, the crew's left, um, where you know basically he was responsible for you know the an outlet of some kind, and he, I think probably maybe say like nine times out of 10 took the touch in a pretty dynamic way. And then they were out the other side and, and in a, in attacking right on the, you know, kind of on the heels of that. Um, the running is really good. Um, the, he, he has kind of that same willingness to be able to drift a little bit around the box and then try and hit bending balls, bending shots to the far stick that, um, you know, only a certain type of player kind of have that ability and the fact that the crew have now two of them mm-hmm. um, uh, where I thought Lucas was more looking for kind of balls at the top of the 18 where Rossi I think is more on kind of it would be like um, like zone 14 extended right so the um, it just adds an element um, where he can kind of do the both do both things, right? He can he can stretch and he gets in the box and he has a willingness to do that. So um it's gonna look a little different. I think you I think in in some ways some of the 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 it, it can look a little cumbersome at times in some of the build up because it does it, there are a couple times where I feel like Nagby checks a shoulder thinking Lucas is there to combine and he's not. Um but it doesn't. It does it. It doesn't look slow necessarily. It just looks different, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, the fact that they got a handful, he got a handful of minutes against Cincinnati, looked really good in mm-hmm. in that in that time, and then gets a start and is really dynamic and on the front foot from the very beginning. Um, I feel like it's about as good of an opening. Um, I don't know, he's probably played 90-ish minutes now, but I think it, it's about as good of an opening as we've seen from anybody not named Cucho Hernandez mm-hmm. uh, in a crew uniform in a really long time. And um, I love it. I think it's it's like that, that sense of urgency, that natural kind of goal-scoring sense of urgency is, um, to me, when I, like, when I feel that and think that, it screams like playoff success. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think score like a nasty goal in the 85th minute because the ball's in the box and the defenders are tired and you just happen to be there. Like that's that that's kind of the type of energy that I think is really successful late on in the back third of the season, back quarter of the season, and then, you know, when the playoffs roll, roll around. And, 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 and you needed, you know, you needed him, uh, Diego Rossi, to instantly be able to contribute for this team because you got rid of Lucas Zellerayan, who's having his best season, one of the best seasons, arguably, for a crew player ever um, in the middle of the year. Yeah, right? MVP candidate, um, uh, and, and numbers-wise, you know, was going to be on par with the Guillermo MVP season. Um, and so... To, to be able to not have, you know, any sort of – it took 58 minutes 
in a black and yellow jersey for him to open up his scoring account. I mean, I think that's just huge um, for him to have that, you know, no sort of pressure on him. Um, Because, you know, especially, you know, with goal scores, a lot of times it can be streaky and, and it can if it starts weighing on you and, oh, I've got to replace this guy who's a club legend, who's a fan favorite. Um, I, I didn't really think that would be a problem with Diego Rossi, especially with how, you know, much he's scored um, uh, in the past and at this level. But I think it's really reassuring for crew fans and for what crew want to do as a team to not have to worry about that, have that account open already. Um, we saw the first start for Camacho as well. I when I saw baller. him in the lineup, oh. what's that? Oh, baller, he yeah. is. Oh. I I was just when I saw the lineup, I just went. <sighs> I was I was relieved, and that's nothing against Sean Zawatsky, but we've talked about this all season that he's miscast in this play, and his role should be different. And just seeing him in the lineup, I was anxious to see him play. Um, I think you guys have sort of already answered my question that it was just it was sort mm-hmm. of comfort it was macaroni and cheese it was comfort food having a guy playing the position that he should be playing in the back line he he's a real center back yeah mm-hmm. and again he's a point, Nazi center back yeah, not just a real center back but too. just like from a physical standpoint like his mm-hmm. battle with CJ Sapong throughout the game mm-hmm. like not that Sean, you know, Sean did a really good job against Club America in battling against a guy who was clearly bigger than him. But, like, that's not what Sean does. And now you have options at the center back position. But when you need a guy who can just, you know, I'm going to be on your back and you're not turning on me. And they took him out of the game. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was impressive. And then he fits, obviously, the, the Nancy style. And actually, we spoke to him this morning for the first time, Camacho, that is. And he talked about, you know, just the comfort of coming back to a style that he really likes. And, you know, he said not to take away anything from what we were doing in Montreal earlier this season, but you know, he he wants to play and he, he wants to, you know, have the ball at his feet and, and do the things that Wilfried asks of his center backs. And so, you know, I think it, it makes sense. Now, he did say that, you know, that there obviously were some some things fitting in. He trained in Montreal by himself for two weeks before he could move to, you know, Columbus and with visas and everything. Um, but once he got here, you know, he felt like he fit in pretty quickly and I think you've seen that. Uh, just, you know, look how long it's taken mm-hmm. still working on getting Shaburko into a rhythm with this team. Well, this is a guy who he may not know everything about the, his teammates around him quite yet, but he knows what Nancy wants him yeah. to do. And I think that's a, a big difference. Brett, I like seeing him with his finger pointing and he's in the ear of his teammates right away. Uh, that's a. I think that gave me a sense of just how comfortable he is playing in this system. Well, I think it. It. I think if he, you know, if he were sitting here right now, and all due respect to Victor Wanyama, like it's amazing what, how good those guys are when when they're when there's Darlington Nagby right in front of you, mm-hmm. and that's always going to be an outlet and an option, right? Because um, I don't remember him being quite um, as savvy. A little bit and 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 smooth um, on the ball during his Montreal time, and I think that was due to a couple reasons. But I think the biggest thing is that he didn't have the the same kind of reliable uh, defensive mid kind of players in front of him that, um, or just midfield. I shouldn't say defensive mid, but midfield players in front of him that that he has both in in D and then um, you know I thought 
the the fact that if he got the ball in a tight spot, his first look was to Gressel, which like, I mean, like be still my beating heart. Like, <laughs> cause that, like that ball more often than not, that ball is always on. Um, unless teams are really shifting the way that they defend um, to kind of uh, like, kind of like a man mark and a half um, on, on that outside back, which is a mistake. Most teams don't do it because everybody, uh, it's pretty easy to recognize and then just work to the other side. But the, um, he, it, it was very obvious to me and to, and I think to him as well that like, I, the, this is my first game. I'm going to keep this as simple as I possibly can. So if the ball's at my feet and I'm at the, like, you know, in these couple spots on the field where I'm going to get the ball more often than not, this is going to be my first look, my first read, so to speak. Right. And it was too, Julian, it was too Gressel. Um, and then there are a couple of times where he hit like kind of hit overhit a couple balls to Nagby that he just hoovered up and then balls out the other side. And, you know, and it looks like it's effortless and it was always meant to be that way. But the, the, the positional play was, I thought was about as good as we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, the, he seemed to be up for the battle a little bit. I thought CJ was like, it felt like to me that he kind of came in like, I'm going to goon this up a little bit and we're going to see if you're up for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you've been out for a little while. Let's see if you're rusty. And he was very much willing to meet him there. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it looked really, really good. Um, the, uh, um, and then I thought too, the, the other thing that I really liked, it felt like he and multi had some, than there too that it that he was always Emerson was always willing to give him kind of like um an in-step touch out and then an option left like that he was always going to be like well if you're under pressure give it to me and I'll work a work a ball up the line with my left foot and and just the fact that there seemed to be that understanding already when he's been here a hot minute and a half is kind of impressive as well I think he's in, you know very much embedded himself um, already in the team, and they seem to be more than happy to have him as well. So it, it looked really, really good. That's no, that's no disrespect to Sean, who I think is no. I been I, I hope nine point five out of ten in terms of filling into a position that he hasn't doesn't. Yeah, play. I mean, I think he's done a tremendous job, and that's the bummer of the whole thing yeah. is mm-hmm. his playing time is definitely going to go down. Now we have two games, one of them in sweltering Houston. On Wednesday night, a quick turnaround. So I think the lineup is is it has to look a bit different. We might see Sean in there starting on Wednesday in the middle again. Well, and I, and I think it allows you you know more flexibility too. As you know, we when we hear from Tim Bezbachenko later in the show, you know he talked about how compact the schedule is late in these final nine games. Um, we got Darlington Nagby, uh, who, who's, you know, again, on the other side of 30, to be able to free up Sean to be free to come off the bench in the 60th minute if you need to, or to start a game, to actually have a real genuine rotation at that midfield position, I think is huge. And don't feel like you drop off a ton. Yeah. Either, right? That, like, it's, oh, well, we're going to rotate, which is, like, kind of also, like, wink, wink, nudge, yeah. nudge. We're punting on this. Because mm. this is a Western Conference game. Points don't really matter all yeah. that much. I'm not... They're not the same as it, as it would be against an Eastern Conference team. Um, but I, I, I think if they do rotate, it, in my mind, mm-hmm. it's only maybe a 5% drop-off, mm-hmm. in, in, in even at some of the best spots, right? So 
Um, and that's a credit to, and you'll hear Bez talk about it in the interview here in a little bit. It's a credit to the depth that they've developed in really a short amount of time. It's uh, crazy. It's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, it's the it, window in which they've developed guys who are contributing to the first team is pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Two months ago, our hair was on fire. Like, where are we going to find a, a central defender? Where are we? And then the Lucas thing comes up completely out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and they've been able to reinvent this thing on the mm-hmm. fly. It's pretty impressive, you know, and it, it, it gives me pause on the next time I want to complain about this, that, or the other thing, because I think probably we, and I'm number one in the hit parade of complaining about stuff that I don't know anything about, but, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt after a while, after they pulled the rabbit from the hat so many times, after a while, you got to go, well, okay, and this is the world that we live in, and we'll talk to Bez about how the Saudi league is completely changing the economics of the, the game around the world. And we play in the world. We compete for players all around the planet and they're changing the equation and they're adjusting to it because mm-hmm. they have to. It's just, I guess a lot of his job is just dealing with reality and not dealing with our dreams of everything being perfect. <laughs> right. Hey, I mean, the, the, <laughs> he, he is, is very good at his job. Um, I, w- I will absolutely give him that. And you, you know, to find players that um, th- that are fits um, in a- in every sense. You know, from the the performance standpoint, from from character. You know, Rudy Camacho again. Th- this is a guy who you know wore the captain's band f- um, from time to time for Montreal as well. He's a leader. Um, uh, you know, Diego Rossi, who's a guy who uh, you know uh, uh, Tim talks a little bit about. You know, why he thinks he was a good fit here and why why. Uh, uh, he wanted to be here, Diego, um, versus you know maybe some of the other because uh, there are twenty some odd other MLS teams that would be thrilled to add Diego Rossi mm-hmm. um, at, at what Crew added him for. Um, so uh, uh, you know they they are in really good position um, uh, uh, to compete, and you know you're looking at. Uh, it's it's going to be a compact schedule. Um, obviously, this, this game in Houston's will kind of pre- preview it. Uh, but 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 crew are you know Cincinnati's shown some chinks in the armor. They did they did win this weekend. But I am convinced you know with with the lost crew and then that just absolutely gutting um, for them. Just absolutely wonderful <laughs> for me. I hope uh, uh, some folks you know stayed up and watched them lose to Miami in the U.S. Open Cup. Last week, that was uh, just incredible. Um, I felt like an energy vampire. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I, I'm, I'm convinced that FC Cincy may not be the crew that comes out and, and, and wins Supporter Shield. Um, but when you look at the, you know, how much it separates the teams at the top of the Eastern Conference, yes, there's that cushion for FC Cincy. But crew's not that far back. You know, we could. Philly could uh, uh, take it away from them. I don't think St. Louis is going to have the gas to. But, uh, uh, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves right now. Well, I think we're about ready to talk about the Houston game. It's Wednesday, and our biggest opponent. But Michael Bradley first, though, right? No, we're not. (laughs) We'll we'll get to that if we can. We can wrap. We can wrap with with Mikey. Um, You know, our biggest opponent on Wednesday is uh, well, two the the turnaround that we already talked about, but also just the the. It's been a miserable summer down there, and it always is. And that's the the thing that we have to compete against. I think more than anything else is just 
the weather because this isn't a game where we can just go, oh, yeah, you know, we're happy with a draw. I mean, I don't think we'd have a big problem with that. But the fact that we're one point behind four teams for second place, every point is now critical. So you can move up a lot, but mm -hmm. you can move down a lot if you're not careful. Houston sitting fifth in the West, and again, we're seeing what we see pretty much every year, the last few years. The Western Conference is just flat-out inferior to the Eastern mm -hmm. Conference, and I feel like when I look to measure these clubs, I don't get, have a good sense of where they are. The top team in the West is on 44 points, St. Louis. Houston sitting at 35. You know, the crew battling for the second spot, sitting at 42 points, a point, as we mentioned, behind Philadelphia, New England, and Orlando. So, and then right behind us, Atlanta. Um, Brett, what do we know about Houston? Um, kind of a weird team, I okay. think, in terms of roster and makeup. Um, U.S. men's national team uh, fans will know Hector Herrera, the Mexican international uh, midfielder, kind of pain in the ass guy who you know made a living out of um, pestering everybody uh, and, and has had a really great career is kind of maybe – on the back end of that, uh, seeing out that time in Houston, um, Corey Baird, I think is maybe their best player, um, in terms of being an attacking option, uh, which is a weird sentence to say out loud. Um, I don't really know what they do well. Um, and I think if, if the Western conference, uh, you know, was even maybe on par with relative par with the Eastern conference. This is not a playoff team. Um, but because, you know, maybe the, the, the average level is down a smidge that, you know, Houston kind of finds itself in the position that it currently is in the standings. Um, but obviously you'll recognize some names. Uh, Artur is with Houston now. I think Stevie Clark is there too. Yeah. Um, He's their starter still. And, uh, you know, former crew assistant GM Pat Onstad is their GM now. Um, there's definitely a, like a diet crew kind of feel to some of it a little bit. Um, and it, don't get me wrong. Like love seeing Artie get some time. Uh, he's played a lot. Is it relatively pain-free from what I, the last time I've spoken with him, um, which is not something if you would have told me that this time a year ago, I don't know if I would have believed you. Um, so, um, but it's a, it's a team I don't really they don't really have like an out and out striker which mm -hmm. is kind of odd. Um, so in my mind, if you do see the crew kind of rotate and play some youth, um, given that this is a Western Conference opponent in a midweek game, that wouldn't be the worst idea in the world because I don't particularly think they're very good. Uh, yeah, obviously the biggest thing for me though is minding the conditions because it is going to be a billion degrees. The humidity will be up to like ninety something and. You know, it's Houston in the summer. Go figure. I don't know if because of what you just said, Brett, the, the heat and what it's going to be like, this matters as much for this game, but crew need to win some road games. Mm -hmm. If you're going to maintain or, or build um, on where you're standing in the East right now, you know, they're 2-6-3 on the road and 10-1-3 at home. So, like, yes, they've made this place a fortress at Lower.com Field, but you know, if you really want to be a force in the Eastern Conference and then in the playoffs, you, you've got to get some more road wins. And, uh, you know, they haven't had an opportunity in a while. It was that uh, that Portland game before the League's Cup break was their last away game. But 
I mean, you're going to have plenty of opportunities here to close out the season, and you know it starts with this game. Now, as I said, this this will be a tough one just because of that. Um, ben Olson is a head coach. Yep. Like I never understood what his DC teams really wanted to do, and I think you're kind of saying the same thing. Is like they don't have like this clear identity. I think the, I think the DC ones had a little bit more, more but that, so. But that was also kind of tough because the you know he and the ownership hated each other. So I think um, the they did the best they could given that relationship. I think it's maybe a little bit better. Um, uh, I don't think it's not relatively common knowledge that he is maybe not the easiest guy to get along with. Um, I do think, um, you know, if you someone as hyper competitive as Pat Onstad is to have someone who is also hyper competitive with, with as, as Benny O is that I think there, that's a fairly good GM to coach kind of uh, compatible personality kind of relationships there. So, um, but I think they're a squad in transition. That's what it feels like to me a little bit in that, you know, they're trying to be competitive. They're trying to make it work as best they possibly can. But like the, the Ben Olsen, Pat Onstad vision is maybe not totally what we see in terms of roster makeup at the moment. What this team looks like in 2024 might be a, a smidge different. Um, but the, I, I think it's also tough. I think it's an underrated, tough place um, to, to get people to go to play. I think it's a tough, the facilities there, if anyone's ever been, um, it's, I would say, below average relative to the rest of the league. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the summers there are just absolutely brutal. Um, so I think in a lot of ways they're maybe doing their best. Um, but the, it's, yeah, like, tactically it looks very kind of like the DC teams a lot and that they, you know, they've got, they've got kind of the, the core midfield who are going to kick the crap out of you and try and use their length and, uh, and tackles that we know we watched our tour doer for our tour, our two, our tour do try that again, our tour do, uh, you know, in a black and gold uniform, uh, and then try and hit you on transition. Sometimes gray and yeah. sometimes white. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, and then was he here during the city flag unis? I don't know, but yeah, so he it's, was, yes. uh, which it, it's wild to think that because that was not really that near of a you know, time ago, but he's been there a long time. Fort so, um, but yeah, so the, um, yeah, I think they're just a squad in transition. So for me, it feels like this is a, a little bit like the TFC game where it's like, this is an inferior opponent. Don't play mm -hmm. down to them. Mm -hmm. Take care of business. Do be what I said, uh, you know, when we were talking before the pod started, but it was boringly professional. Uh, and, and come away with a road victory. Even though road victories are tough in MLS, they always are, uh, especially when Eastern Conference teams go west. That win percentage is like crazy low, um, kind of historically, uh, which is interesting because it's not the other way. But the, um, as in Western Conference teams coming east. Mm -hmm. But the, um, you know, a, a three, po three points here or, or a road draw is, is definitely, um, you know, I think it's more about continuing positive momentum than it is kind of racking up points, if that makes sense. Yeah. Houston's 8-2-2 two two at home. So mm -hmm. this isn't yeah. like you're walking yeah. into a place that's easy to play. Well, playing in a blast furnace, you know, they know how to do it mm -hmm. more than their opponents for the most part, unless they're playing their Texas I hope you love runs. hydration breaks because we're going to mm -hmm. have a couple of those. Yeah. They do have lead the league in a name. One of their defenders, he's from Zimbabwe. His name is Teenage Hadabe. Mm-hmm. 
That's pretty good, right, Bart? Yeah, yeah. Teenage. And he's not teenaged. How old is he? He's 27. So. Oh, that's misleading. I don't know if you're <laughs> the obsolescence of his name was <laughs> ran out pretty quick. So, I feel bad for him. That's his problem. We'll pick the game here after we talk about Montreal because we go from we go, this is kind of a weird road trip. We go from Houston up to Eastern Conference rival Montreal, and uh, Wilfried Nazi's first visit to his old grounds, the 35-point Montreal club, sitting in eighth and seven points behind Columbus Crew. Um, how have they changed since their manager, they didn't want to lose, left? Uh, loaded question. Uh, a lot. They've changed a lot. Uh, they really miss uh, Jordy Mihailovic, like, yep. big time. Um, who... Uh, should not be left out of a U.S. men's national team roster Correct. until he from now until he's about 35. Um, homeboy should be on every single one the rest mm-hmm. of the way out. Uh, the yeah they they miss him a lot. Um, you know Romelo Quinto is um, I always I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name. I always like mm-hmm. that's a great last name in MLS that I'm so hesitant hesitant to say. Uh, Still got that. Still got that extra gear that he's shown for a long time in MLS, but the goal scoring doesn't seem to quite be there in the same way. They don't have the same. Um, the it's it's kind of funny to say this out loud, but given everything that we've seen from the Columbus Crew, I think it makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't feel like they have the same amount of joy that they have playing <laughs> um, that they did when when Nancy was in charge. Stad Saputo is a weird place to play. Um, that that stadium feels like you're in a minor league baseball stadium, kinda. Mm-hmm. If it had like a really great fan atmosphere, um, be interested interested to see. Uh, they've had some issues with some supporter sections in terms of hooliganism and all that crap. When um, when we the crew was there last year, it was the first game back for one of their supporters mm-hmm. groups. That occupies kind of this, the, the <laughs> they sections. They were banned. They were literally banned. I think for like three quarters of the year, and wow. so it was the you know the the epic meltdown that the crew had um, in Montreal uh, in 2022 was their first game back, and of course it happened right in front of the goal that 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 they were at. Um, but yeah, it's a wild stadium. It's a very weird stadium. Uh, one of the better road trips in MLS. I think the the players really love it. Montreal has a very European kind of feel to it, city wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the players, everybody who goes there, I think is very much up for it. Uh, and it'll be there when, uh, McGill university, which is usually right next to, which I think is the biggest university in Canada. Correct me if I'm wrong. Someone will, uh, Wikipedia that for me. Uh, you know, audio people. Don't Wikipedia in um, MK ultra too, though. Uh, don't do that. Well, maybe, maybe do, but not at work. Uh, the, the, the we, we go down and take Kaczynski <laughs> rabbit hole real quick, quick with MK ultra, but the, uh, <laughs> Um, I think uh, McGill should have students, so that's mm-hmm. which is wild. If they go to the St. Regis or the Sofitel Hotel in Montreal, it's literally right next door to the campus, and it is absolutely crazy the number of students that are walking around in there. So it's really cool. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think the, you'll see a little bit more compact Montreal than maybe we have in seasons past, um, and uh, I would not be surprised. Um, to see kind of the crew dominate the majority of the possession, 
trying to break down kind of a low block defense uh, in, in this game for sure. Crew aren't coming home in between. They're going straight from Houston to Montreal, which, which is a very rare occurrence yeah. now in the charter in the charter flight yeah. era. It of It does MLS. not happen much. Um, it's probably just so Wilfred can see all of his friends for longer. But, uh, no, I so back I back in the day that that used to be a thing, coach, because coaches would get it. They would they would get a per diem dinner, <clears throat> and the the essentially that was not like on the CBA or any of that. They would get a if if there was like a back to back travel, you got like a day, and they love to like rack up the per diems. They're you know oh, uh, yeah. Frankie Kolpas was like legendary for that during the Chicago Fire days. To always try to do back to back because they go and they go pimp a dinner somewhere wherever they might go, uh, but it's a lot more rare now in the kind of the charter Probably flight no year. Probably no shortage that we're in of great league. places to eat in Montreal either. Mm-hmm. Churchill's, if you, if you've never been, Churchill's maybe the best bar you could possibly go to in Major League Soccer. Okay, shout out to all the Blue Jackets folks who who recommended oh, yeah. that. It's easily, I think it was maybe the best road trip we had all year last year. Yeah, I've I've heard good things. I and here's the best part. Here's a great here's a great little thing. If they do stay at the Sofitel Hotel in Montreal, which is where the crew, I think, traditionally stay, it is on Maisonov Avenue. Oh, no kidding. In Montreal. <laughs> Spelled the same way? Same way as, wow. as, as Bri Bri. So it's, I think uh, it's always good juju when they're walking into that building. It's ancestors, no doubt. So, yeah. Um, do you think they get up for playing their old manager? I mean, they have to, unless there's just... Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some of that... Um, you know, also Rudy Camacho returning there just right. weeks after leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the players that played under him, I think, will have a little bit extra because of that. And, you know, I mean, I think there will be some pride in the fact that, you know, they want to prove, look, this guy left for what was considered greener mm-hmm. pastures, right? And I think from a Montreal perspective, and, and Rudy Camacho said when, today that, like, you know, this was a step up for Wilfred Nancy, which I thought was interesting, a guy who just came from Montreal. You know, I bet the people in Montreal might disagree with that, mm-hmm. those that haven't. You know, obviously, you see the facilities and the stadium and whatnot, but, you know, I think the, the pride of representing that city and that club will, will be there considering he decided to move on after just two seasons and only one really successful one. Um, uh, Rudy Camacho also said that he felt that there was more quality here, so it was easier for <laughs> Wilfred Nancy to institute what he or install what he wanted to do, which I think we all kind of talked about early mm-hmm. on that maybe that may be the case. But to hear a guy who was literally just playing for that team to, mm-hmm. to kind of say that, it, I thought was interesting. But yeah, I, I think there's certainly something to that. Does that make the difference in the game? I don't know, but. Um, I think anytime you know you play against, you know, even if it's just one player playing against a, an old coach or an old teammate or something, you, you definitely have a little extra in you for for that that matchup. What sort of reception do you think Wilfried gets from the fans? Yeah, I don't. That's an interesting question. I don't. And I think like, look, they did something really good there last season, and you know, I don't think you can discredit that. But to this, you know, to what I was just saying, like. He did choose to leave. He could have tried to keep building on that in Montreal. Now, the crew weren't the only team interested mm-hmm. in, in Wilfried this offseason, so um, you know, he probably ends up somewhere soon, even if it wasn't this year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would hope, I would hope like if, if any of the crew's former managers who had success came back, 
I hope that you know that they would get at least an applaud before the game, a la Will Trap before the Minnesota game type of thing. And then once the game starts, you know, if not that you boo coaches, I don't think you should boo anyone. <laughs> but, uh, that's a different topic. I, I there there the, his exit was also a little. Um, uh, icky, for lack of a, uh, mm. to use a kindergarten word, because uh, of the relationship with Joey Saputo, the owner, I think it soured a yeah. little bit, and there were some rumors, bad. and I won't, that swirled around that relationship that are very much unconfirmed, and we won't get into that. But I do think that um, maybe was a factor, in an inf- an influential factor in looking elsewhere, in that uh, I think in some ways. And I, this is me projecting, but the and speculating, but that the Saputo kind of family looks at Montreal, CF Montreal, as like a kind of feeder club to the other club that they own in Syria, uh, in Italy, Bologna, and that that uh. essentially trying to shove guys as like a minor league, for lack of a better okay. way of putting it. So, and I think Nancy disagreed with that relatively, well, sure, instrumentally, foundationally. So. Um, the uh, um, it does feel like there the expectations for that club feel kind of weird to me um, from an ownership level. And if you've ever heard them speak and some of the president of ops slash GMs that they've had in the past kind of echo that a little bit. Um, so I would expect the fans to really be good to him uh, because I think they kind of get it in terms of why he left. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would expect them to be relatively, um, you know, happy and respectful of, um, of his return. Well, it's not a dynamic team. If you're looking at, they don't score goals. They just sure. don't score goals. Not they like. have half as many almost as the crew on the season. And they have given up one more goal than the crew. I think I mean, a good way. This is a 26-goal team over the course of the season so far in 25 games. A, for, a good way for me to kind of judge my own personal interest in them is like, do I think you're boring? Because I haven't mm-hmm. really watched a lot of them this year, mostly because I kind of think they're boring. And yeah. if you look at the goal tallies and, they're, and then if you look at some of the advanced analytics, not the most dynamic team, especially compared to where they were a year ago. So they miss their manager dearly because – they just have no yeah. answer in terms of playing a dynamic style. And again, we'll just say it again. We just got to show up. Got to, uh, to your point, Murph. Got to win on the road. We got to do it tough style here. Travel to a blast furnace and then go up to Montreal, where mm-hmm. hopefully the weather will be just fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we'll make our picks after we hear from crew GM Tim Bezbajinko. And this all started when Bart and I got into an argument mm-hmm. at Saucy Brew Works. And we put in a call and said, can you settle the?" I don't think we ever did settle the argument. But, uh, uh, no, no. Tim, uh, you know, GM Tim Bezbachenko agreed with me. He's a gam man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think he was just being nice. <laughs> so it started out as a dispute over Tam versus gam. And I don't even remember what side I took anymore. <laughs> Maybe I took that side. You're, you're a damn man. <laughs> yeah, something. So we, we had a, a few minutes in all seriousness with Bez, and I thought it was a very interesting mm-hmm. conversation. 
Tim, I appreciate the time. This started about 45 minutes ago. Bart and I were at Saucy Brewworks at the bar, and we began arguing about GAM versus TAM, and it became kind of heated, and we thought we'd come down and have you settle it. Mm -hmm. So we thank you for your time. This should only take like an hour, maybe two. <laughs> All right. I, I, you know, if we have time at the end, maybe you could explain it to us, or if you have a book or a pamphlet or something, mm -hmm. because it's just... I don't understand it. Well, well it's, it's good to be here. And uh, uh, we're not going to make. Did you take t sides on Tam? No, you know, I've forgotten. Like I've oh, forgotten. I'm, I'm Team Gam. Team okay. Gam. Okay. All okay. That's what it was. It's more flexible. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was an insane transfer season in what has to be an insane job. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, as everyone is, about the timeline of Lucas leaving for Saudi Arabia. From the outside looking in, we get the idea that it was all came pretty fast. And, and I don't know what you want to divulge. That's obviously up to you. But mm -hmm. we're just curious as to how this came down. And then he was on a plane and mm -hmm. leaving. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it you time things as best you can. And, and um, we have, a, you know, a lot of people have a saying, you control what you can control. And I think a lot of what we do is spend time uh, thinking through various scenarios mm. that could play out over the season. And um, we spent a lot of the offseason deciding, hey, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do in preseason? What are we going to do at the end of the window, which is in May, the first primary window? And then what are we going to save for the, for the summer? And then obviously when you have a coaching change in the offseason, you need to factor that in as well. So there's sort of all those scenarios with uh, – you know, one way of a coach deciding to, to wanting to make a lot of changes right when they get in, but also maybe one scenario where we hold and we reserve and keep, um, you know, our options open. And so clearly it played out with, with Wilfried. It was, it was, it was clear from, from very early on that um, he wanted to, to promote from within. That was, that was one of the criteria for, for us when we were hiring him. But and just give some time to to learn the players, and I think when you fast forward to this summer, um, it was one of the most active um, summers I've ever been a part of, both incoming and outgoing. Clearly, big moves, uh, name moves, you know, some fan favorites, Lucas being being one of them. Um, it's something that we had thought of as a possible scenario. I won't say it, it wasn't likely given you know, his context situation, given his contributions to the team, his leader on the team. But as things play out and, and options become available, in this case, Diego, that's when you start, things become a little, little more real and, and then you're starting to make decisions. Like, is this the best for the team? Do we do it now? Do we um, wait till the offseason? So I know, I know that's a long-winded answer, but the best I could say is, is, is we have it set up and then whether or not we pull the trigger on something is, is a whole different question entirely. So it's almost like you're just you're, you're gaming out any sort of scenario that you could possibly imagine. Is, is that correct? That's right. Say? I wouldn't say it's 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 everything we can imagine because we can get pretty creative, right? Um, <laughs> and and if you know Wilfred, he can be pretty pretty creative with his formations and his and how he sets things up. But you know, I think I think the the, the big ticket items, right? We always need to keep it, it, our sense of. Our, our DPS and our you know the interest in them and the value of them because we know an offer could come at any time. Mm -hmm. We've received many inquire inquiries about Lucas over the last few windows. So, mm -hmm. and then with Saudi Arabia, if, if you're following mm -hmm. you know golf and soccer over the past year, you know 
there's a chance that that would be a market that might come looking for one of our players. And so we, you're always going through the exercise of saying, what is your player's value in MLS? What is his value overseas? You're talking to the agents, right? The, the players need to know that themselves. They have to be prepared because the last thing they want is an offer to come and then they're not prepared. You know, they have to talk about it with their family. They have to the big decisions. There's so many, you know, players that are involved, players, you know, in the game of, of, of transferring uh, overseas that, that you've got to be prepared if you're going to do anything. Is this fair to say that... Lucas and the organization had to come to an agreement on this or it doesn't happen. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, all the tr the transfer agreements have to be signed, like formally agreed. It's not even a verbal. I mean, they have to be signed by everyone. So, it's not like if a player has a, you know, we we hear about no trade clauses in baseball mm -hmm. contracts all the mm -hmm. time and so forth. It, you know, if a player doesn't have that, but as far as it works in soccer, doesn't matter. Everybody's got to sign off on it. Yeah, so within the league, um, we can trade players right. uh, per the CBA. So that is collectively bargained, mm -hmm. part of the CBA, that we can trade players unless he has a no-trade clause. When it comes to a registration, somebody, a player's pass that's going to move from country to another country, they have to agree to it per FIFA rules. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Um, Saudi Arabia is certainly changing the economics of world soccer, and it's a two-way street. It, it, the transfer fees go up. Organizations can benefit from that, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's going to raise the price of the players as well. Do you have a sense yet of how – am I over-imagining the effect of all these dollars coming into the market, not only for marquee players, but mm -hmm. you know, just maybe a step down from that? Um, it's it's got to be changing just how much players are worth, right? Absolutely. You know, it's 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 uh, macroeconomics 101 or microeconomics. You know, inflationary pressures. You increase the money supply, like you're going to see uh, uh, the price of players go up. And so we saw that a few years ago with China, uh, oh, when the Chinese yeah. Super League came, mm -hmm. and and we thought that that would change the, 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 the global market, and it did a little bit, but then they, they realized that there was a negative impact on their domestic uh, mm -hmm. supply of players, and so then they instituted or reinforced their uh, domestic player rule. But Saudi Arabia and the Middle East have a different objective, right? And, and we've seen that in, across multiple sports, and so it will absolutely change. You know, we've seen the, the older player, you know, past his prime um, in the last few months, but, you know, the rumors are that, uh, most law it might be going, and I don't know if it's been done yet or not as we record this. But that that that's a that's a game changer. If that mm -hmm. happens, then um, you know um, you know I wouldn't sound the alarm bells, but it certainly means that that they're not just going after uh, players you know that that have a name, but they're going after some of the top stars. And then we'll have to decide how we respond as a league, you know, and what that means for us. Certainly, it impacts us in terms of price. I'm, I'm thinking the English Premier League, Bundesliga, etc. Et that uh, their eyes are very wide open right now because it's like, oh, they might come for anybody. Well, and do you think you know Saudi Arabia? They can sustain with this? I know Cristiano Ronaldo said, you know, he thinks that it's a better league than MLS. I'd, I'd probably dispute that and be curious on your thoughts of it. But, you know, where do you, you rate that league um, compared to MLS? And, and do you think this is something that they can sustain? 
you know, candidly, and obviously, uh, it, I have not watched a lot of the Saudi. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't even know where to find it. Um, <laughs> I, I did. I, I did. You know, that surprise you. Um, it's hard to watch enough. You know, with all the you know almost thirty teams now, mm -hmm. it's hard to watch all the MLS games, let alone Premier League. And but when you get to Saudi Arabia, I did watch uh, Lucas play. They played Cristiano Ronaldo the mm -hmm. other day. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like the crowd, the stadiums are full. Um, yeah. you know, I think I think the weather is probably an issue over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, facilities and and so I, I, I look, we're a top easily a top ten league right now. Uh, obviously, our goal is to be a top amongst mm -hmm. the best. I would, you know, top three, top four over the next you know ten years, maybe sooner. Saudi Arabia, you know, to put a number, I don't know, they somewhere in the top fifty. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do they crack the top twenty? I think that would be hard. Although with the influx of these new players, you would have to say. Their top one or two teams mm -hmm. have done very well. Al Hilal, there was a player, Sebastian Javinko, who played for us uh, in Toronto when I was with Toronto FC, mm -hmm. who moved to Al Hilal. He was okay. He was our yeah. he's MV League MVP. Yeah. So, and then he goes there, and then you had Milos Degenak, who actually played with mm -hmm. him uh, over at, at Hilal. So clearly, and then they won the Asian the, the Champions League. And mm -hmm. so those top teams in that in that league are doing well and I think I think as a league we've decided that's not what we want at mm -hmm. least at this point in our journey we don't we want you know a level of competitive and equal opportunity across our teams we feel like that's a competitive advantage we have over almost any league in the world that any team from any market doesn't matter your market size given our salary cap that you can be competitive and we think that that's a good thing do you think that the league can crack and become one of those, you know, top five teams in the world the way it is cons uh, constituted right now, you know, with three DPs, with a salary cap, um, or, you know, do you need flexibility for teams to do, like, what Miami's doing? That's a, that is a, that's a million dollar, the, mm -hmm. the hundred million dollar question <laughs> at this point. Um, do we need that or not? I think the, the people at the league office, the owners are debating that right now. Um, we've seen the impact Messi has had, and the question is, hey, do we? There's no player like Messi, but do we go out and certain teams and certain markets and be strategic and bring in players that are in that sort of realm or that quality, and will that move the needle? And um, you know, I, th I think everyone has their own opinion on it. Um, I think that you know, some level dynasties are a good thing. I think, you know, when you start talking about, you know, in basketball, if it's the, you know, uh, Chicago Bulls or, you know, the Celtics or the Lakers, you know, and um, I think that that can generate fans globally. And, and I think in our league, we've really only had that with the LA Galaxy. And if you ask, I think there's a survey I read online, you know, who's your favorite team in MLS and and the you know the top one that people mention is LA Galaxy you know they haven't been gr good as of late but I think there can, there's something to be said about uh, certain teams you know carrying the torch and and I don't think it has to be a big market though mm -hmm. it's just um you know it's it's a storyline it's a thread through and if it's Champions League or if it's the World Club World Cup can we uh be contenders in those competitions how do you then from a Columbus perspective kind of take, you know, I think the perspective is like Messi's not coming to a small market team or a player of that caliber. And you guys have done really well to find guys like Cucho, like Lucas, that, that will come and can make a huge impact. But if the league does go to more guys like that, how, how does a, the crew organization keep up if these bigger and bigger names are being signed? Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is we got to do it from within. We got to develop players from our academy so that you have a consistent pipeline and we're in control of that. Again, go back to 
control what you can control and we can we can do that we can we can manage our backyard we can develop players in ohio and 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 tap into other markets like detroit and um obviously cleveland but but indianapolis and chicago we've gotten a a few players over from there recently and so that that's how we compete long term and i think they will prove to be just as influential as the big names over time but I would also challenge your statement. I mean, we might not be able to get messy, but I do think as our league grows, um, players will choose Columbus. And I think if you can get any player here, um, mm-hmm. certainly we can't always bring them in before they sign, but I think they see what a world-class city we have and that we are and what type of lifestyle they have. I mean, mm-hmm. Diego's a great example, right? And, you know, um, he didn't say it explicitly, but I got the sense he didn't really want to go back to L.A., mm-hmm. You know, he's from Montevideo. It's a much smaller city uh, than L.A. And, 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 and I think there are some similarities between how, you know, how he felt about that city and Columbus and, and the way that you can be the be, – you can be a sort of a big fish in a small pond, um, although it's not that small. But you, yeah. you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like it's – and we can – if we recruit well and they see our facilities and they see, you know, what we're, what, where this city is going, I think we can attract some big names. Not messy, but Mbappe. Well, that, yeah, Mbappe's <laughs> little go. brother. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, it was funny. We it was at the fortunate uh, to be able to go to the World Cup in Qatar, and uh, we were able to go to, to France's training, uh, one of their training sessions before the quarterfinals, and so all with the families, and so Mbappe was there, obviously with his with his family's little brothers <laughs> kicking the ball around. I said, "That's who we're focused on." <laughs> I, was, like, I don't even know if he, you know, I think he has two brothers. And so I'm talking about the younger one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you've seen a lot change as a, as a GM and president. What are, what's maybe the biggest thing you've seen from change-wise, uh, perspective-wise, from you know, maybe those early Toronto days uh, to kind of the new era that maybe we're in in MLS uh, at the moment? Yeah, the first thing is maybe stating the obvious is, is the fans and, and you know, the, 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 the sheer number and commitment level across the board. We've always had good fans, but I think over the last 10 years, we've really seen our fan, fan groups and supporters groups grow, and what they do uh, to create the atmosphere is fantastic with the, with the TIFOs and, and the hours that they dedicate. I mean, it's, it's remarkable, and, and I always make sure I, I, I thank them and, and make sure how grateful we are to our fans because they're going to carry us forward. And I think as a league, when we get to 26 with the World Cup and after, you know, we want to double our fan base, triple our fan base. And I think it's beholden of our fans to, to, to have information about the team, to follow them, and then they start to bring in other people. So I think that's the biggest change. And then I think the facilities and the training grounds have, have – been sort of a backbone for how we've grown from within and and convinced players to maybe play soccer instead of another sport or to go on a professional route rather than play uh go to college soccer nothing against college soccer but we do need to grow the sport um in many ways and so providing more opportunities for for different pathways is important so um and then lastly i think the biggest change has been just that the, the average level of the American and Canadians is better for the reasons, you know, whether or not it's the facilities or the coaching has changed. I mean, I could go on and on about the things that I've seen, but I think those are the biggest, you know, it's just um, is, 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 is our fans, our facilities, and then how much the American and Canadian player have, have improved. The like, I always feel like the, I think for anyone who's been a, a fan of 
you know, not just specific club, but the league at large for an extended period of time. I think for me, the biggest difference that's kind of been shocking in a lot of ways is the commitment to academy development. Mm -hmm. And then what, um, you know, the, the reserves teams, the, the MLS Next Pro teams, the commitment to, to be able to put, uh, you know, high quality players in there, to be able to bring people in to then place them into those, into those kind of uh, environments to develop players, right? The, that commitment is like, is obviously a lot of work in the front end, but there could be, you know, obviously financial benefits to it in the back end. Where do you see uh, the crew at in terms of maybe its commitment league-wide to that? Because it feels like, obviously with the success that Crew 2 had last year, that it was almost, it felt like maybe the club was in a little bit early with some of the commitment to that. And now it seems like there are very tangible benefits with the guys who are contributing from that Crew 2 team mm -hmm. to the first team now. The academy seems like it's in a really great place as well. Does it feel like you're maybe just a smidge, maybe 1% ahead of the curve a, a little bit? Um, I hope so. You yeah. know, I, I would say we're not, I, I would say we're not there yet. Um, yeah. and, and let me back up and say, hey, in 2008, when the league decided to in, in, implement the homegrown rule and the right. incentives to develop players, it was, it was, it was brilliant and, and, and obviously was a commitment that we knew was going to produce fruit sort of long, long in the future. Uh, you know, 10 years in, back in 2018, I think there was still a big question from the owners if they put, were putting in, let's say, a million or two million a year and they hadn't really produced in anything to the first team, you're, 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 all, you're 20 million in. Right. And you're saying, what am I, what are we doing here? And I think, um, that's where sort of the rubber meets the road. And I think league office and, and, and anyone who knows global soccer said, no, no, you have to not, we got to recommit. We got to commit even more resources because this is what's going to keep us competitive globally. And it's great for the country federation. Um, and so, and then you, when you look at us specifically, unfortunately, we probably had the, the, the lowest or certainly in the, the bottom five in terms of commitment, in terms of investment in the academy. And I think that the, the, the club did what it – people running soccer operations did the best that they could given the resources. And I think what we did produce um, was kind of almost remarkable right. given the lack of resources and the lack of influence that the crew had in the market. Um, I mean, when I came in – 2019. I mean, we we were not well liked in the market, uh, you know. And I think a lot of MLS teams experienced this back in 08 to 010 when you're the big new MLS team in the market. There's established local soccer clubs, and um, and you're they they were perceived as us taking their players. Right. And 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 I think that Columbus never had the facility, never was able to separate itself from the the market, and so. That's what we spent a lot of our time doing in 19, 20, and 21 was, was, was we, we stopped, obviously stopped our club, our pay-to-play club model, and just focused on the academy, which is free-to-play, which is working collaboratively with the local clubs so that there's just this, this inflow and outflow of players, and we're creating a pathway for the best players in Columbus. And I think fast-forward now, Two, three years later, I think you're starting to see what we can be. The Tahas, the Gio Liberas, you know, these, these, um, these players are really good and they're at the top level of MLS. I think we can do more, though. I really do. And I think Mark uh, Nichols, Kelvin Jones, I mean, 
Corey Ray, people do it, you know, in charge of it every day are are the right people and have the right vision and 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 have done it before. And so I'm excited to see where we can go. How uh, Wilfried's style that he wants the team to play tactically and so forth. I get the idea just as a fan that it's there are a lot of differences between what other clubs are doing and that how much has that changed in the past since we hired him to how you look at players that you're scouting and not only academy but professionals that you're looking at to bring in. Mm-hmm. Am I making too much of that? No, no. I mean, we we as a club, you know, when we go out and find a coach, um, you want to make sure that that coach fits into what the Columbus, the identity and the DNA of the club. And we're trying to be play, you know, intertac- entertaining, attacking soccer. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We don't always succeed in it, you know, and, and, and obviously we also want to win. We want to get to the playoffs and we want to uh, give back to our, our supporters. Um, but within just have being a you know positional player or or possession based team, there are going to be nuances. And Wilfried clearly has, you know, a certain style in terms of his preferred way to build out of the back. Um, but his what's 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 so great about Wilfried, he's he he's not stuck to one thing. Like he's committed to reading the game and adapting. And 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 I think that's what's unique because not all coaches can see can do it and can see it and do it. So. If we're if the idea the plan is to do you know X, but you see Y in the field, then he expects his players to adjust and and play play to Y, you know. And I think that's very difficult. And then to have players that can actually you teach them to do it during a game, so you can adapt. I think is one of the the the, the features that that and one of the things that that Wilfrey does best. Well, it's been an exciting season to watch, and I'm sure at times you're like. <laughs> but because the games are, you know, they're, uh, they're exciting to watch. And our uh, conference is, is extremely competitive, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, the, we're one point behind four teams, I yeah. think. Well, I know there's a line of podcasters out the door to speak to you. I appreciate your time so much. Uh, have fun the rest of the season. We're getting down to the to the nitty gritty already. That's right. Summer's yeah, flown no, it's, by. It's going to be a fun ride in nine games left, and it's it comes hot and heavy with the international breaks and um, you know some away some away trips coming up. So uh, appreciate you guys having me. And this is it's always fun. You going to Houston? Um, still deciding. I'm going oh. to Montreal, the Houston. Oh, the Houston. Oh. That just sounds awful. Yeah, it, it does. It does. But we TV. can see our good friend Pat Onstad yeah. and, and Asher Mendelson <laughs> and, and good people down in Houston. Our tour's there, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Thank you, Tim. Thank appreciate you, Tim. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for the beer, too. Yeah. Wow, we thank uh, Tim Bezbajenko for dropping by. I know he's a busy guy. He was on his way out the door to, uh, imagine, drive the kids to soccer practice or something. He's a good dad. And we appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. He was on our 100th episode, right, Sam? 300. 300th. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Who has the jersey with the 300? Okay, Sam's got it. Yeah? All right. You should have worn it for this one. Yeah, you should (laughs) have. That would have been cool. He was coming from work. He's dressed up. All right. So we we thank him for his time and his insights on what has become a really interesting season. Why is your – are you out of time? Do you have some place yeah. to be there, Do you have there, to pick Murph? up your kids and take them to soccer? It's hard out for the massive it's, report. Podcast. It's my birth control alarm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, good.
Good. I'm glad you're conscientious. I have about no that. <laughs> so uh, let's make our picks for the games. Then uh, Bart is—he's got his fist pounding on the table. We must talk about Michael Bradley and the booing situation. So we will in a second. First, let's go to Houston, where it's going to be—I don't know—110 in the shade, 200% humidity on Wednesday night. How do we see it, Brett? Uh, yeah, give me, give me. Um, I think I said, did I say three zero in the Toronto game? Does anyone remember? Do we keep track of such? I don't know. Things? I forgot to jot those. I think down. I, yeah. it's either two or three. I, I'm, mea culpa. I don't remember. Um, but, so yeah, we're gonna run it back one more time. Give me a goal in each half, just like we got against the TSC game. Two zero crew on the road. Two nil. All right, Murph. I'm saying two on Houston. I two think. I think they struggle in the heat. The focus is more on the Montreal game. Stronger lineup in Montreal next weekend. Okay. Sam? Uh, I'll say 2-1 Columbus. Okay. Bart, we'll get to you in a sec because you always have the best picks. Uh, I'm going to say that this is going to be sort of a hunker down, play it safe, maintain some energy levels, one nothing crew. It's not going to be pretty, but it'll be a, a three-point victory. I'm going to go with, uh, we'll say 3-1 crew. Um, and uh, I think Patrick Schulte's going to add his second assist of the season. <laughs> Very good. Does uh, Steve assist the lone Houston goal? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, no. Steve uh, assists the second crew goal. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, like does it, is really it in the first minute? Does he still yeah. do, yeah. does he really still do the yes, the yes, yeah. yes with yeah. his fingers in the air? I, I haven't, that in Houston. I haven't seen sure. him do that. Uh, you know, what I realized looking at they've also got Andrew to- Tarbell, two former crew uh, oh, keepers. Oh, yeah. So let's remember some guys. Yeah. <laughs> old, old reunion there. Uh, let's talk about Montreal. Brad? So I, I think it's uh, – more typical starting 11 for the crew in this one. I think they'll rotate um, uh, against Houston. I would expect to get Montreal's best shot uh, they've had all year uh, in some ways. I think the fans will be up for it. Uh, It's a midweek. The Houston game's a midweek game, so I think you come on the back end of that a little bit road-weary from uh, what their travel plans, the crew's travel plans are. but the, I still think it's a, it's a crazy game. Weird things seem to happen up there uh, in Montreal. So give me, I'm going to go 2 2, uh, an even money draw with some wild stuff late uh, in the game. 2 2, late goals, equalizers of some kind. Okay. Murph? I will say the crew win that one 2 to 1. Um, I think Wilfred Nancy will have this team. Motivated to go. I don't think he wants to go back up there and lose. And, again, I think if you're going to prioritize one of these two, as Brett has said earlier, do the Eastern Conference game. Not that I think it'll be a weak lineup in Houston. I don't think Wilford believes in that. But I do think I could see the, the stronger lineup being the, the Montreal game mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. Okay. Sam? What, what, how, I can't see your fingers. It's very bright. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, Hold on. Yeah. I'll save you for Sorry. last. 2-1. Uh, I'm going to be boring. 2-1 crew. I'll go with 2-0 uh, crew. Um, uh, and both crew's goals coming after a rain stoppage um, <laughs> in, uh, Montreal, in the second half. But not yeah. in Houston. 
Yeah, yeah, no, just you're trying to give me a heebie-jeebies right now. Yeah, yeah, it's lightning, you know, lightning delayed in the game that's delayed for you know a couple hours, and then crew come back and score two goals just to absolutely still working through the the repercussions of that. Don't do that's your worst prediction. You don't go last next week. That's terrible. I don't want to stay up that late waiting for it. All right, uh, so Micah Bradley got booed again, and the most hilarious thing about it was, of course, that uh, our color commentator for the Apple TV telecast, what's that guy's name again? Lloyd Sam. Lloyd Sam. Boy, he had no <laughs> idea what was going on. He's like, whoa. Well, that's, it's, that's it's been it's relatively... Like, it's like I took him to his first crew game, and he's like <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder while I'm trying to watch the game. Hey, man, why are they booing Michael Bradley? A uh, question that was asked... Across Lower.com field, I imagine, mm-hmm. on Saturday night. But it's kind of and his the job answers, to know. Yeah. Thank God the other guy You'd knew. think that people who have been around the team would know, too, but <laughs> so many people just don't don't have a full grasp of the situation. <laughs> hey, can you explain mm-hmm. offsides to me? And can you also tell me why they're booing that, that young man down there? Why are they being so mean to him? I mean, that's well, how it came out. I mean, and, and why why they're being so mean to, to Michael Bradley is uh, because, you know, th- this is a guy, I, I think you have to look at the context and, and what he said during the Save the Crew movement. Um, what asked, we, we learned today, actually not by Michael A. Race, by, it sounds like a reporter in Toronto about what he thought um, about the crew potentially moving. Um, and basically, uh, 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 after first saying, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't really know, I don't want to con- uh, comment what um, any, you know, smart uh, player or, or player that, you know, wasn't completely arrogant might just say, if asked again, I just told you, I don't know. But instead, Michael Bradley decided to carry Dave Greeley and Anthony Precourt and Don Garber's water. Um, you could, if you did the Pepsi challenge with quotes from Dave and Don and Mike Bradley, you would <laughs> not have known who <laughs> said what. It was the, he, he did not. He, he, what, a, you, what a poll that if, is, by if, the way. I mean, you, you you saw later, you know, uh, in the Adam Jardy article that came out after the game, him saying, you know, I think people, I want people to go back and look at, at the context. Um, and and the context of it is very clear. He does not say that there's a lack of, you know, investment from the ownership. He says that the environment is lost, it's that the market um, isn't, uh, uh, isn't, you know, supporting the team. Those are things that are... Um, uh, 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 proxies for fans. Um, He was victim blaming. um, And this is a guy who uh, uh, was, you know, dare I say for for a player that um, never wore the black and yellow prior to that point, probably one of the most beloved players um, in in Columbus because of what he did with the U.S. men's uh, team um, and and some of those great games um, where he captained the red, white, and blue um, there in historic Cruz Stadium. Um, uh, this wasn't just any player uh, uh, taking the side of ownership. And a guy who's from America who's watched countless teams relocate, and you know the only reason every single time is from greed from ownership because they want public financing for a new stadium. It's never, ever actually been because the market's there. You know that. He knew that. And yet he carried the league's water. He carried Don Garber's water. He gave the same talking points. It sounded like it could have been from Dave Greeley. So Michael Bradley gets booed. Um, that, that That's what happens. And he had the chance to apologize. Um, uh, he's had six years to do it. 
um, and he has not done it. And instead, he uh, uh, basically said in, in this story from uh, with Jardy uh, that, uh, uh, he, you know, crew were actually lucky. He saved the crew because he brought attention to it from his <laughs> comments. Um, I mean, how? That's a little hyperbole. A little bit, but not that much. We, we can read it or you it's can a lot, read it. It's a lot of bit of hyperbole. But essentially, I think he's a little bit tongue in cheek there. I think it's probably fair to oh, give yeah, him being very humble. Being I, very humble. Because he did say, I say this with all humility leading into that part. <laughs> so I think he's making a little bit of a joke in that quote. But but I would argue it's maybe not a good joke to make. No. Uh, in <laughs> fact, I would vehemently say that it was not. Um, but I, I would encourage everybody listening um, to, to go and read uh, Adam Jardy's article in the Dispatch, if you haven't already, uh, which part was... Uh, referencing and then on the back end of that go read uh steve sir mm -hmm. kind of dissertation yep. column essay what are we calling Cirque stuff anymore i don't know mm. it's not Cirque's notebook all Cirque's. right what just be Cirque yep. being Cirque. um go, make sure you go seek that out as well because uh you know he kind of continues to be mm -hmm. in my mind the the meridian point the lifeline kind of the ongoing kind of uh, historian and scribe of everything crew for me and always will be. Uh, no offense to uh, you know present company uh, or anyone else because he's Cirque and he's got a different gear uh, than than the rest of us have. Um, but yeah, it was um, you know I, I've been on the record before um, with other stuff that I I feel very strongly about not telling people how to fan. Mm -hmm. um, I don't love that uh, mostly because I don't care. Um, and, uh, but beyond that, I think it's, it's mostly just a kind of a personal preference thing. Like we, you know, we are who we are. Um, and so then I think we all kind of make choices based on that. I don't love the booing, uh, but I, and I don't necessarily disagree with, I think what Michael was trying, what Mikey was trying to say back in 2017 was some of the narrative there in that, yes, unquestionably, the facilities had fallen behind. Yes, unquestionably, the, 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 the output from the community bouncing back towards the crew was not where it needs to be. We all know now, given everything that we do both then and now, the reasons for that were because of the lack of funding and financing and, the, and everything that Anthony Precourt Conspiracy. And, and, and company at all were doing or, were they, or weren't doing, right? The Historic Crew Stadium, Mafre, whatever it was at the time, was behind because they, they purposely let it do that, right? They, they made no effort to, to reach out to any corporate interest uh, here locally, right? We know all of that. The Save the Crew movement proved those things to be completely inaccurate and not factual point by point by point by point. I think that's fair mm -hmm. to say, right? Um, the, so I think what he was trying to say, he didn't necessarily succeed in that uh, back in 2017. He has since been made aware of that fact, mm -hmm. right? In the, in the six years from that point to this one. And he's had every opportunity to apologize for that uh, and hasn't. And then he did get an opportunity. Jardy did give him, Adam Jardy did give him another opportunity to apologize. And he kind of maybe walked up to it a little bit, especially if you read some of those early quotes. And then he blows it with the, I say this with mm -hmm. all humility, but the joke I made with some guy behind the stands, behind the goal. Um, I still don't love the booing. I don't, I don't particularly think that's a great idea, but... Uh, you can't argue with the fact that he's had several opportunities to, to be able to kind of soften 
or walk back the 2017 comments, and he absolutely hasn't. Um, well, I mean, I think he inherits his ability mm-hmm. to absorb booing from his father. So, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, maybe maybe he has thicker skin than most. I don't. I mean, it's pretty obvious he doesn't give a crap. So, I, and he really I, shouldn't, I did, by the I way. See, here's the thing. I, I, I disagree with that. Um, I think if you watch him, Michael Bradley made two progressive passes in the first half when he was there in front of Nordek. One of them was offsides, and the other one was a giveaway. He, I mean, he looked flustered, and every single every single pass he played was the easiest. I think that's just Michael easiest. Bradley at this point. I, well, yeah, I, I think that's well, probably. I think, but, but the other thing is you cannot argue with Toronto has not won a game in Columbus since he made those uh, (laughs) comments, since he's been booed every time he's touched the ball. It is your right, nay, duty as a crew fan to boo Michael Bradley. And and the other thing is, like, look, it's not like it's baseball where we're playing Toronto, you know, nine times a season. It is one game. (laughs) And it's not like it's Wazoo at game day where there's one crew fan that's following Toronto on the road booing him every time. Mm -hmm. I think there should be. If somebody has the resources and ability and willingness to do it, please do. Uh, but who is um, this hero but, that we but need? Until, but until then, yeah. it's just one game. He's washed up. He's probably going to retire. Um, and, and so we won't have to worry about this anymore unless he wants to show up and, you know, get his lunch handed to him again. And he'll get and he'll get booed or he could apologize. And then maybe he won't get booed. The uh, the thing I think is interesting, too, is that, you know, the all the different iterations that we've seen from him. Right. Because he's we, I mean, we've known him since, you know, his dad was coaching mm-hmm. the Metro Stars. Right. So. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been one of the few kind of domestic players that, um, started MLS left, goes to Europe, very su- incredibly successful in, in Europe. One of the most successful U S U S players ever in Europe. Um, especially during his time, Kievo in Italy. And then, mm-hmm. uh, but the U S men's national team stuff is as far as I'm concerned, untouchable. He's mm-hmm. a top five U S men's national team player ever period point mm-hmm. blank. Uh, and, uh, the and, and he's him and Christian Pulisic are the only bright spots from that that the 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 the, the bad hex that the the U.S. men's national team had that led to them not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. 18, yep. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it, that resume is obviously you know I think speaks for itself, and he and he deserves respect for that. Um, and and but I don't necessarily think he gets a pass mm-hmm. for for the comments at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I still don't love the booing. I just don't love the booing, but the, but I, I think it's, it's incredibly important. Uh, I think for me to, and, and I think this is, I think it kind of extends out, um, in my mind that it's not just about the booing, but it, in, to, in my mind, it's about what the, the Nordeca and then I think Columbus crew fandom at large, what that kind of group means and looks like as an outward facing kind of entity around the league. Cause I look at crew fans uh, and, and supporters of this club as being the leaders of major league soccer, given everything that they have done to keep the team here. It sets this, it sets them apart and, and the, the crew fandom are standard bearers for the rest of major league soccer supporters groups, as far as I'm concerned. And this feels to me a little bit, 
like looking backward. And I tweeted this at the time that standard bearers look forward, not backward. And so to me, it looks a little bit like looking in the past. Um, and so I don't love that. I'm willing to kind of understand it. And I'm, I think I'm willing to respect it on, on some level. Um, I kind of think, I don't know this personally, um, but I would, I think that might be the last time. Um, it didn't look good. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I, you know, I think Mikey, even back when he was a six foot two, 12 year old running around, uh, being an absolute maniac in terms of the, the travel soccer that existed in the Eastern seaboard in the you know, early two thousands, um, with his like shoulder length hair and, you know, being literally a foot taller than everybody else out on the field. Um, you know, the motor was like the big thing, right? That I've never seen anybody. He, he, there's a, there's a great story, um, from some of the world cup qualifying, uh, uh, and then youth camps back in the, I think it was the 2010 kind of cycle, uh, where he was the first U S men's, U S men's national team player to ever break a beep test. If anyone's ever, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, the fitness beep test, he was the first person to literally beat it to the point where so like it, it didn't matter. Frank got close, but Frankie never did, from what I understand. You need one more beer. Uh, or, <laughs> or two, you know, didn't chug enough Red Bull before it. Um, so I think the, but it, the motor doesn't seem to quite be there anymore. Well, and I think I mean, the last. evidence on the Jason Russell Exactly what I was yeah. just about to say, that I think he, he let him run a little bit because I think he thought the other dude had it covered and Homeboy did not. But the, the, the motor, the engine, which has been the driving force for all of his success, does not seem to be there. And I think maybe, uh, especially with the, the departure of his dad um, and the way that that kind of all went down, um, and then some of the turmoil that he got mixed up in as well, uh, I would not be surprised if he's done. And if he is done, the booing aside and the comment aside, he is worthy of respect just given the, the men's national team credentials, 100%. So, um, you know, I tweeted this as well. When, and 10 years from now, when he is the head coach of the U.S. men's national team and they do come to Lower.com <laughs> Field to play Mexico on a cold November night in World Cup qualifying, do we boo him then? Be very interested to see the answer yeah. to that question. Look, I, I think I've said my piece on this, and I know Absolutely people... Absolutely not. Please do it again. People disagree, and that's fine. As Brett said, if you want to boo, go ahead and boo. I'm not trying to tell people, despite what people on Twitter said to me, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. The article that I wrote in 2021, which kind of started this controversy between me and crew fans, uh, was about, like, you can do whatever you want, but, like, I think it's time to move on. Like, back in 1996, and I know that not everyone will remember this, but... Paul Caligiri, who was a defender for the crew, yeah. decided that he didn't want to be here anymore yeah. and made it very public when there wasn't social media that he didn't want to be in Columbus and requested a trade to L.A. And it was a big public thing for first year MLS. And crew fans booed him for a long time when he came back. And that was when you played the Galaxy every year. So he was back in Columbus, assuming health. And like that was fun for a while. And then it just became like. The same situation just became to a point where most people didn't know what he did wrong in the eyes of, of fans. And, like, I remember thinking at the time, even as, like, you know, a kid, like, okay, what are we doing now? And that's kind of how I feel here is, look, the villain in this whole thing is Anthony Precourt. Yeah. This is your villain. Now, I know he doesn't come to Columbus. Yeah, we don't get to boo him. But <laughs> that, I mean, a lot of people throughout the course of that season – said things similar to Michael Bradley and not just coaches and players, but pundits and, you know, people who have mm -hmm. called games for this league. Um, 
so like he it's not like he was exclusive in this and you know there were crew fans who didn't completely disagree with it the situation was was not good my point has always been know what you're doing and if you're going to try and t- explain it to somebody else explain it correctly do you know that the booing started not even with the crew it started with other teams in MLS booing him and a, a few the of the TNT other players mm-hmm. yeah. because of of the US game and so when Bradley made those comments he just spent 90 minutes being booed by crew fans prior to this so like he could have said a lot worse frankly <laughs> if you know like imagine I've never been booed for 90 minutes while playing a game but like I would be pretty irritated I don't know I mean that that's just how I would assume I'd handle the situation so I just think yeah you can go back and listen to the quote but there's context around the quote and then there's you know okay how long do you carry this on and if you want to carry it on until the day that Michael Bradley is no longer in the soccer world, and as Brett pointed out, that may be a while, then, you know, that's fine. I just, I do I, think people just need to know the full context of it and not just that he said something mean about my team because a lot of people said yeah. things that crew fans disagreed with. I don't year. think it's fair to say that he his comments were misconstrued. He said mm-hmm. that, I believe, in Jardy's quote, yep. in peace. Did he say that? He I, did, yes, yeah. yes. He said, I don't, go I, back I see, and look. If he, I don't think that's fair. No. I don't think that's correct. Now, I do think that, again, what he was trying to say did not come out, right? Or at least was not as maybe mm-hmm. clean as he wanted. But I don't think it's fair to go back and say, well, you guys don't actually have it right. Go back and look at what I said. We're like, no, we can. And mm-hmm. that's pretty black and white, man. Yeah. And I'll just say we, we, we can walk and chew gun. At the same time, the the Nordeck remembers. Don't put, we don't can put remember me too high to a stand. <laughs> we we can we can remember and um, uh, be petty about you know a certain player and and still you know be standard bearers for the league. So don't worry, don't feel shame for booing. It is your duty because it produces results. What I'm go- <laughs> what I'm curious is who's who becomes the next victim and what does that person have to do to get booed for I the rest of their life? I would argue there shouldn't be one. For the record, because I don't think that's particularly classy. I would honestly, but, I prefer but, uh, you could just boo me whenever the, I step into the North End. Well, that you yeah, should. Well, well, I'll tell you what, it. my wife won't put up with anymore. Rafa it's Marquez me booing the be TV boat, because that's right. just weird. So I've stopped booing Bradley, at least at home. But now, at the very least, thank goodness we have Lloyd Sam up to date <laughs> on 2017 <laughs> era so MLS sure. North I'm not so sure. Thank I, goodness. I kind of, uh, I would put money down that maybe he didn't un- uh, still entirely understand what was going it's on. It's only the ninth crew game he's done this yeah, year. Yeah. <sighs> All right. You know what? Me. Neil is doing the Montreal game on yeah. Saturday from what I hear. Yes. So we look forward yeah. to Houston and Montreal. And we'll be back together at our old place, Saucy Brewers. Thanks again, Bez, for doing uh, the show and giving us your time. We do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it and found it informative as well. Like and subscribe to the Massport Podcast. And we thank Saucy again for uh, having us when we're down there. For Sam behind the controls, for Brett, for Murph, for Bart, I'm Brian. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week on the Mass Report Podcast. Mm-hmm.